Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's The Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landau. Savages! Hey, Savages, welcome back. This is The Savage Mommy, and we are back with savage cast number 18 damn we're almost at 20 we'll get there we're legal now yeah we're gonna get to we're gonna get to 20 soon so uh we've been away for a while yeah we've been busy we've got a lot of stuff a lot of stuff a lot of stuff going on uh i won't lie uh 2017's been the uh, year of suck so far for me but it's it's getting better but uh game wise it's been good Right? Yeah, we just came off of Tacticon, which is a lot of fun. We had to we want to thank our special sponsors for Savage Worlds. A bunch of the Savage Worlds creators out there sponsored our Savage Saturday Night event. So we'd like to give a shout out to them uh, and thanks. Uh, Aaron Huss from Mystical Throne Entertainment gave us some copies of his Ancient World, uh, the Bestiarium vocabulum. Um, absolutely fantastic. So our GMs and players got to play with that. The uh, Frank Turfler from Middle Kingdoms gave us a bunch of copies of Heart of Darkness, which is a cool sci-fi gothic horror ghost ship uh, adventure. Uh, Eli Kurtz from the recently very successful Kickstarter. Um, he's from Mythic Gazetteer, but his Kickstarter was for the Blackwood Errantry Codex, which I think both of us picked up. Yes. And uh, that, that's kind of fun. It's like German fairy tale meets Wushu. And he uh, graciously gave away two extra copies of that to our players. Uh, Kevin Rohan from Silver Griffin Games. He's a longtime supporter. Uh, we had a couple copies of Campo Kikini, uh, Mill Castle 42, and Wellstone City to give away, which was totally awesome. Uh, Nathan Carmen from Tricky Troll Games gave everybody at Savage Saturday Night a copy of Vigilante's Rise of the Powerless, which is a new mini setting. And uh, so hopefully we'll see that at future conventions now that all of our players have it. Um, much thanks out to um, Sean Patrick Fannin, who gave a bunch of copies of his Evil Beagle Games bundle. Yeah, he just he just did a bundle of stuff. He just he just put, he always puts together a bundle of whatever he's you know Savage World stuff he's has or been working on, and and he's another one of those longtime contributors. So we have some, I, I think we still even have more to shout out. But we we have such great people to contribute to us on a regular basis. And then all the way from South Africa, uh, Mornay Shop gave us uh, from Just Insert Imagination five copies of Winter Eternal, the uh, adventure guide with eight cities and the wastelands. So that's a really cool setting, and we're glad that it's uh, out there at our GM course. So we want to thank all those guys for sending in um, wonderful prize support for our big epic Savage Saturday Night event. Our players and GMs appreciate it. And if you guys out there are um, content creators for Savage Worlds, um, Genghis Khan 41 is coming up in February. And so if you'd like uh, us to feature your products for Savage Saturday Night, uh, get in contact with us at uh, Uproar at savagecast.com and we'd be more than happy to uh feature your products uh at savage saturday night for giveaways and we'll give you a, a savage world shout out so let's talk a little bit about about genghis khan um you know just coming off tacticon so genghis khan 41 uh president's day weekend february 15th through the 18th uh in aurora colorado and uh We've moved, moved hotels. Yeah, it's this great new hotel. It's the Hyatt Regency Aurora Denver Conference Center Hotel. And uh, it's fantastic. I've been over there a couple months ago to do a walkthrough. And um, 
a great area for gaming. They have like this big quad where like all these pull-off rooms and there's a big central quad where you can like either put vendors or food or fun stuff in the middle or people can just still feel you can have, you know, quasi private gaming but also kind of be in the thick of things. And um, it's really close to the children's hospital out there. And we're actually planning on doing some charity events to bring some GMs over to the children's hospital to run games for kids during the weekend. So it uh, kind of uh, meets both of our goals of epic, fun gaming space and being able to uh, give back with some charity events. Yeah, and we've got a few uh, few kind of exciting things that are going to be happening at, uh, at Genghis. And I think the biggest one uh, for you and I is that that's going to be the convention debut of Buccaneer Through Hell and High Water. Yeah, so we are going to fulfill the Kickstarter pledges for all the people who purchased epic gaming table rights to be able to be the first players for Buccaneer Through Hell and High Water at a convention setting. So oh, shit. Non-play testers. You just, said, you just said epic. Oh, we, we got our work cut out for us, so we uh, probably better start uh, getting the adventures written so we, oh, but, so we make them epic. You know, be, beyond the writing the book, polishing the book, finishing the book, I mean, we've been in preparation for this for, you know, more than a year, in fact. Like the, we've got little pirate miniatures which are getting painted, um, ships, these gorgeous uh, ships that are getting worked on. The uh, so you know, we'll, not only will we have epic pirate voodoo goodness, we will have nice terrain and other fun stuff too. So yeah, we did um, kind of uh, let's let's piggyback off of, off of that debut. We did get a just get a playtest document out. Uh, so it is uh, it is out to some folks. There's some folks playtesting it for us, uh, waiting for them to um, you know read through the document, do a little playtest, get back with us. Uh, so uh, things are still you know still in the pipeline, still working on it. Uh, you know, unfortunately a little bit a little bit delayed, um, but you know a lot of Kickstarters are delayed, and I think uh, I think people understand that you know you you keep the communication open you keep letting people know what's going on and you make sure you put out a hell of a product and i think we're going to put out a really great product and so i think people are going to be excited about it so i'm excited to get it out there excited to to run some games uh at genghis khan i kind of have a uh been thinking about an idea and i'm very likely going to go uh, there's some uh, costume shops around denver uh one called wizard's chest and I'm seriously thinking about going running myself a pirate costume for the weekend. Absolutely. Or at least to run my game on Savage Saturday Night. Our matey. Yeah. The, uh, well, the other cool thing, too, is that the, we just got the character sheet proof from Carl oh, Kiesler. It's beautiful. And, oh, it's, yeah. It's pretty gorgeous. I kind of want to let's like, eat it. It looks look so good. Um, but another cool, awesome thing is that we are going to have our first international guest for Genghis Khan, and probably the first international guest for any Savage Worlds convention ever, all the way from Barrie, Italy. We're bringing in Gilbert Gallo, who actually helped us out on Buccaneer. He created the um, Cardomancy Adventure Generator for our setting. And, uh, yeah, we're just... going to talk about that. We'll probably talk about that in a little bit when we get to our main topic. Yeah, it's an awesome adventure generator where he actually kind of brings in this voodoo flavor of um, you're using the cards as a means to, you know, contact the Loa. And um, it's great. It's, you know, it's a very detailed multi-page document within the book that really kind of flushes out a very uh, epic swashbuckling voodoo kind of feeling to it. And um, the, uh, you also know Gilbert from uh, Mythos. Uh, an excellent ancient world setting, uh, you know, uh, classical gods. 
um, Olympus Inc. Uh, they did it with Charles White. And um, the, uh, he did a, a setting called Voodoo Pirates, which made him perfect to come in and help us on our setting. So yeah, we're bringing in Gilbert Gallo all the way from Italy uh, for Genghis Khan. So if you guys want to come and hang with Gilbert, uh, book tickets now for Genghis Khan 41. Oh, and then the other big thing too, um, we mentioned Sean Patrick Fannin. Uh, he has been known to run epic, epic sized games for Genghis and Tacticon. Yeah, he ran one of this past Tacticon. Yeah, like multiple tables and just dozens of people involved all at the same time. And he's planning on doing his biggest epic table event ever for Genghis Khan 41 with his system, which is kind of G.I. Joe goodness called Freedom Squadron. So those games are actually already up on the tabletop.events website if you want to get in on the Freedom Squadron action while you're coming out to play uh, Buccaneer and other goodness at, at Genghis Khan 41. You can already sign up for those games. So uh, yeah, check out tabletop.events. Uh, Genghis Khan 41. It's, I think it's on my Yeah, game submissions are already up. I mean, the game submissions went up the Saturday, I think, of Tacticon. So we're still uh, gaming at Tacticon. And the Savage Saturday night, uh, Matt Rouse, who uh, is the owner of the conventions, uh, came in just to kind of talk to us a little bit, let us know what was happening with Genghis, where it was going, those types of things. And, and he said, no, by the way, uh, if you want to run games for Genghis Khan, uh, you can start submitting them. And you, I don't know if you noticed, but there was a few people like, ah. Oh, Damn, already? <laughs> like, I have to start thinking about Genghis Khan already? Uh, yeah, people, get you, start getting your games in. Yeah, that's kind of the tough part of our convention schedule here in Colorado is that the we've got a late fall and then like midwinter you know, gaming convention. So there's a big break between Genghis and Tacticon, but a very short turnaround between Tacticon well, and, and Genghis. Well, and, and, and we're uh, a month shorter, if you really think about it now, between Genghis and Tacticon, because Tacticon moved from Labor Day weekend um, off of that to the last weekend in September. Yeah. And so, you know, we lost a whole month, and I'm like, ah, oh, crap, we got to get some stuff uh, get some stuff ready. So, uh, you know, anybody out there want that wants to uh, run games, you know, uh, get them up there. Um, you know, you want to come from out of state, run some games for us, hey, We'll be more than happy to take you. Yeah, and since for all you out-of-staters, like the locals know because we bug them all the time, but the out-of-staters know we have a thing called Rocky Mountain Savages, which is the largest gaming group in the Rocky Mountain region. And uh, we sponsor all of the Savage Worlds games at the conventions. And we have a thing called membership. And what membership is $21 a year. And what it buys you is a really awesome Rocky Mountain Savages t-shirt with uh, very nice like silk screen printing and a special Super Benny, which you can use at any game you're playing during the weekend as an extra Benny at the table. As long as your GM approves it. Right. And I think most of our GMs have. Yeah, most of our GMs approve it. Now, maybe GMs outside of Colorado might go, what the hell is this thing? Uh, but, you know, just tell them, say, hey, I'm supporting, uh, I'm supporting a uh, Savage Worlds group and, and helping them, you know, run better games and do things like that. And maybe they'll let you use it. And they're just cool as having a little memento of uh, right, being a exactly. as well. Yep. And then we always come up with some custom dice. So yeah, we'll be doing a we'll be doing a, a custom die order for 2018. Um, probably here in the next couple of months, I'll have to get that done so that we're ready for games. Oh yeah, we don't really have months in like the next couple of weeks, really. Yeah, so we'll so we'll get that taken care if of. If you guys want your shirts printed for you for Genghis when you show up, um, head to RockyMountainSavages.com, and the first thing on the front page is a link to the PayPal for 21 bucks. Uh, for membership and uh, if you get your membership in before the convention we'll have a shirt ready for you and we're and we will definitely i mean if you get if you get it uh and again we we welcome i mean if you're out of town folks and you want to want to kind of help support us 
um, it sports the club kind of helps us, you know, pay for the dice, pay for the t-shirts, those types of things so that, that we can keep doing this. And it, it's not so much out of, uh, Chris in my pocket. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of where that goes to. So it, it go, you know, goes to helping us run the club, um, you know, the website, the forums, the, you know, all those types of things. Um, we don't do a Patreon or anything like that, uh, you know, but if I've been thinking about it at some point, maybe, but, uh, that's down the road. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll be happy to mail you your stuff. So, uh, yeah, we've got a, a nice big package heading out to California, uh, right now for one of our Savage members who's out there, who's a Rifts specialist. And uh, so we're going to throw in some cool stuff for them as well. But, yeah, we have, like, members in California, New Hampshire, Nebraska, um, Nebraska Texas, New Mexico, Wyoming, um, Vermont, I think. Uh, yeah, so we're, you guys are, like, all over the place. So if you come and visit us, you don't have to come visit us, but it's more fun if you do. Um, for Genghis Khan 41, remember, it's February 15th through 18th in Aurora, Colorado. And, um, yeah, come out and play with us because we have – we run more Savage Worlds games at Genghis and Tacticon than any other convention ever, like more than Gen Con, more than Origins. Um, and we want to and, – and really, to be honest with you, we want to run more. Oh, yeah. So I mean, if you didn't get to run for Tacticon, you locals out there who are, who are hopefully maybe listening to this – uh, come run, come run for Genghis. Uh, we want, we want to run a lot more games at Genghis. Uh, you know, so, uh, we just want to keep those games up. We want to have uh, full tables. We want to have lots of, uh, lots of games out there for people to play in because, uh, Savage Worlds, it's a pretty popular system, especially at our conventions. Yeah. I think our record for Genghis is over a hundred games for Genghis Khan. So hopefully we'll, we'll meet or beat that this year. And, uh, so yeah, come be a part of that. Savages News! So uh, let's talk a little bit about a, a, a few uh, quick news items. Um, not a whole lot to, to discuss right now, but I wanted to talk about uh, a couple Kickstarters that are out there. Oh, no, before that, though, we got, oh. we got a nice little announcement. Like our, our co-host, who's not here right now, he's out camping, um, David Garrett actually has some co a cool announcement that he has some content that will be oh, yes. in the, uh, the new Savage Worlds Explorer magazine. So we can't tell you what it is, but... He says he's already been paid for it, so hopefully it'll be in one of the future magazines. Yeah, so maybe uh, issue. I think they're. I think they've done three issues. I I have um, the first two issues. Um, a friend of mine picked them up for me at Gen Con. Um, really, really a, a good deal. It was ten bucks for the magazine. Now, you might say, "Oh my God, ten bucks for a magazine!" But the first issue had basically two full length adventures in it one i believe was for weird wars one which is an ongoing campaign that they're going to put in in the magazine and then the other one i was believe was for deadlands and then in the second one they had three different adventures and i could be mixing up the the issue numbers but they also had a last parsec adventure so you're getting good content for 10 bucks and as far as i know and i could be i could be wrong if 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 people know about this, but I, I was under the impression that um, the magazine would at some point have adventures and like like uh, creature features and like a, like treasures and and kind of write ups, it, it kind of similar, probably not to the extent, but similar to like the old Dragon magazine, you know. Um, then they might have different things for different settings, previews, things like that. Oh yeah, there was a preview for Flash Gordon Flash. in uh, one of the. I think it was uh, issue number two had a Flash Gordon, and it was one of the races. I think it was like the Lion Men. So, hey, it's worth picking up. You can get it from Pinnacle's site. I think you can get it on Drive-Thru RPG. I think you can get it as a PDF um, or a print. So there's lots of ways to get it and uh, support 
Savage Worlds Explorer. I, you know, I'd like to see a, a Savage Worlds magazine, um, you know, continue to publish. Um, a long time ago, I don't know if you remember, Chris, did you ever read Shark Bites? I, I think the Shark Bites was ended before I got involved, but I've gone back and read the, I think the Savagepedia kept copies. Of yeah, it, yeah. So if you want to go back and look at some of that, and that was, that was just an online magazine. And again, I'm saying this a lot today, but I, I could be completely wrong. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, that Mark Gacy, one of our locals, I think he was part of that, uh, of that uh, effort um, to put out an online Savage Worlds magazine. I could be completely <laughs> thinking, completely off the wall, but I'm pretty sure he was a part of it. That's awesome. We love Mark. He's awesome. He's yeah. one of my favorite GMs. So let's talk about a couple Kickstarters that are coming, that are yeah, coming out or that only have a little bit of time left. Two biggies. Um, there's Titan Effect, uh, which is... Probably uh, by the time you read this, like, I don't know, maybe two weeks left on the Kickstarter. Yeah, about 15 days. days. It's only a little over halfway um, funded, but I'm sure it'll be, you know, it may be one of those that, you know, kicks it into high gear towards the end. Uh, one called Frozen Skies, which is almost funded, like 93%. It's got about 14 days left. So um, those those two, if you type in Savage Worlds in Kickstarter, those two come up. They're the first two that come up. So yeah, they're Titan the Effect newest. sounded like it was like a, a new, like a spy, cybernetic kind of yeah. setting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure, um, don't know a lot about it, but I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to throw it out there so people knew it was there in case you hadn't heard about it. And uh, I believe next in Pinnacle's pipeline is Flash Gordon. Yes. Uh, so that should be, I, I would think, in the next couple months. Yeah, I thought they said, um, they've been hinting. Lots of people have been asking, and they, they, they haven't set a firm date yet, but it sounded like it was going to be before Christmas, so... Yeah, that yeah, that'd be cool. I'm not Maybe November. Not a hundred percent sure that I'm going to back that one yet. And I know when I say that that I'll probably end up backing it. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, back all of them. I, I well, yeah, yeah, well, and 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 with uh, things uh, looking looking back up for me, you know, job wise and things, I can start you know feeding that addiction again. Right. Um, I had I had not uh, I had not fed that addiction for quite some time. Um, the last one I did feed, uh, you know, the kind of it's Savage Worlds related, but uh, Doomtown, uh, the uh, card game, um, AEG had the license for Doomtown for um, a couple of years. Put out a great game. It's a lot of fun to play. Um, the license expired. Um, everybody thought Doomtown was dead, and Pinnacle uh, picked up Doomtown. Um, basically has a company uh, that was put together from some of the guys who were part of the AEG Doomtown, I believe called Pine Box Entertainment. And they just put out a Kickstarter for the next expansion. Um, and so I definitely back that because I love Doomtown. I don't get to play it as much as I like. So, um, you know, that's something else that's out there. You know, Savage Worlds related, if you're a Deadlands fan, you love you some Deadlands, uh, you know, look at Doomtown. Um, it's not collectible. So, you know, it's one of those that you buy, uh, you buy the starter box, you know exactly what you're going to get. You buy the boosters, you know exactly what you're going to get. So it's not, you know, like magic or something like that where you're not, you're hoping, oh my God, I have to spend, you know, so much money to get all the good cards and, and the guy who doesn't have the money to spend is screwed. Right. It's not that way. So it's a good game. So that just kind of popped into my head that uh, something else uh, pinnacle wise um, that people might want to take a look at. Yeah, I think it's an interesting sign that you, just, you know it's like watching Pinnacle really expand out into multiple different kind of forms of publishing, which is really cool. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean they're magazine, doing book publishing, card game. You know. Yeah, they they have some uh, Deadlands books um, that they've published. Yes, so. David Boop. 
Yeah. Our local author, yeah. David Poop, has got some really cool Rippers um, novellas that have been coming out. Yep. Uh, get, you can get those in RPG now, I believe. I've read the first two chapters. And the, yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Yeah, David's a local guy, so it's kind of nice to see him um, putting that out there. Let's let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, let's get to to a main topic and get to to the meat of the show. Um, so you know, uh, Chris and I were going through uh, you know trying to say, hey, what do we want to talk about this show? Um, you know, being a, being away for a while, what's what's out there? What can we talk about? And uh, came across a post by uh, Charles White, our uh, good friend and collaborator. Yes, good friend and collaborator. Yeah, he he is our publisher for Buccaneers. So uh, uh, full disclosure. <laughs> right now we're connected we, we are to, connected we have to disclose things before we were just schlubs that's now, right now so, we have to issue warnings but what he, he came what was his question so he said um uh, what are, are they must-haves in a setting book and what are things you like to see so in a new savage world setting book for a kickstarter or, or otherwise um what things are must-haves and uh, richard wolcock posted a really good um uh link that he's, he's been blogging about this before but the uh some of the kind of the things that people mentioned that are must-haves are, uh, well, do you know, do you need a plot point campaign? Do you need an adventure generator? What other kind of things do you need for a setting? And the, uh, so yeah, we, we you know chit chat on, on on what kind of things do you want to see in a Savage World setting? Well, I think let's let's start with the the hundred pound, ten thousand pound, whatever you're supposed to say, elephant uh, plot point campaign. I think those are most important in a setting that I think. That GMs might not otherwise know, or off the you know top of their head, be able to put together a, an adventure or a, ser a series of adventures for you know, your setting right off the bat. So if you're going for something new and unique and different and weird, um, I think that would be a major selling point. Was just being able to pick up the book and run with a plot point campaign, um, like maybe uh, I don't know. For me, I think maybe Eli's book, you know, is, is a good one for. Uh, you know, the, yeah, I'm the sure that there's a generator. not too many other people out there who have a German folk tale. Yeah, wushu, like, wushu. Yeah, campaign just sitting right. in their back pocket. Right? Oh, oh, and and somebody you know as a GM, maybe there are these people who can boom. They can just come up with a off the top of their head. They come up with an uh uh you know a campaign for that type of setting. But for me, that would be one because I don't. I don't know that much about either one of those. I mean, I love wushu movies, and I've, I've seen, you know, plenty of them. But like German folklore, things like that, I don't know that much about it. So f for me, that type of setting, yeah, I think a plot point campaign, I, I won't say a must, but is is a very good idea and something that I would think would be important to have in there. Now, flip that over and look at look at what we're doing with Buccaneer. We didn't put a plot point campaign in Buccaneer, and I think I think we we've said this before, uh, maybe last podcast, um, that 
like you said, people know pirates. You can pretty easily come up with ideas for pirates. Well, that was the thing, too, is the, I think we're also looking at, like, the where, you know, I mean, this isn't how it generated. I mean, you guys decided to write an adventure, and the adventure turned into multiple adventures, and then multiple adventures turned into a campaign, and the campaign turned into a setting. So, I mean, right. it was a very organic evolution. It wasn't, it didn't start with, hey, what, what needs to be done in Savage Worlds, and let's go fill that niche. It was, hey, uh, this is fun, and we're doing it, and, you know, hey, why not just turn it into a setting already? So, um, so that, that was kind of more organic than, right. than planned. But if you think about it, I think... There are established properties in Savage Worlds that are pirates. Uh, people have been probably running home games in, in those settings. And so I think one of the things there is that was a plot point necessary or was it better to give people tools to update their pirate campaigns that they've been running or know how to run to the current rule set and also just give them more tools to work with. Right. And so in that, in that kind of regard, I think, um, yeah, we could have done a plot point campaign. but um, And we may at some point still. We may, we may we may find a plot point campaign that one one may come to us that we wanna we wanna run, but in lieu of that, I mean like you know the to fill the the content niche right like you know, it wasn't like we you know left people hanging without content is we brought in a ton of new authors and ex established authors to give um, adventures. Yeah, we have I think twelve. Yeah, twelve. I, we we said we were gonna that was one of our stretch goals that we were gonna offer ten. Um, like one sheets and some of them turned out to be a little bit longer than that and we ended up we ended up you know with 12 so you know hey two more for you right and so that's kind of a, a thing too is i mean that's you know they might not be as cohesive together as a plot point campaign but that's a lot of content to run in a pirate kind of setting that um you know you know, give gms ideas by reading through all those or run them as is and um you know, and also in the service of that goal we, we kind of wanted to bring a lot of new voices to i mean you know, for me and Chris and Brett, you know, being um, you know, new published authors in Savage Worlds or in gaming in general with this project, um, we also kind of wanted to bring other people up on the coattails with that. And so we brought in um, several new authors who hadn't been really published before or just newly published recently. Um, so, you know, locals like Dustin Hatchett has an adventure in there. He's like one of our great GMs. Brian McCabe, personal friend and great GM, has got an adventure in there. Um, Wendelin Reichel, whose uh, career is just skyrocketing after you know starting yep. off this year yeah she's, she's just going she's just she's going crazy i mean she, she also actually, gave us cool stuff for saturday night too some like really cool bottle openers that were like playing cards it's pretty awesome yeah she's actually um she uh, quit her full-time job to tackle this freelance writing as her full-time job i say more power to you wendy i hope it goes awesome for you yeah so i mean that was kind of you know part of our you know part of our 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 ethos in, in put, you know, putting these out is, you know, let's get more, you know, unique, different names out there. And then we also brought in some just great, you know, established, um, you know, A plus uh, authors to write adventures who are, you know, they, their names have been all over Savage Worlds products and they write just fantastic stuff as well. So, you know, that was kind of the idea there was to give people a mix of, you know, new voices and really talented people who are already established and, you know, more than 10 adventures. And then the other part, you know, that, that, that I think ties into this is to give people content as an adventure generator. Yeah. And I would say, again, must have, I think must have is, is, is a strong thing to say, but I think any setting that has an adventure generator to me is kind of one step above. 
again, there's there's plenty of plenty. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if you don't have an adventure generator in in your setting, that it's not a good setting. But I just think that Savage Worlds lends itself so much to an adventure generator and a card based, obviously, adventure generator that I think it's cl close to a must have, especially if you don't have a plot point campaign. Oh, yeah. And, and that's the thing is the, I mean, it kind of, you know, the one we've got from Gilbert is just fantastic. And it's, it's, I guess if you don't have an adventure generator, maybe even like just a bare minimum having a list of adventure seeds or yeah. similar, just, yeah. you know, things that, if you read our generator, I mean, you can run Gilbert's generator as is, you know, you, you deal out the cards and each card has significance. You can kind of read up on what their significance is. Um, but the, you know, even just reading through it, he puts in so many kind of ideas and unique twists that even if you don't use it as written, you know, dealing out the cards, um, it, it serves as kind of a very in-depth idea generator for yeah. yep. um, plot hooks and complications and um, interesting kind of adventures tailored more towards the setting and how you want the setting to feel and the play. And I think that's kind of the, the, the big thing is that you know, there are people out there who've published. I mean, it's kind of funny. I think I, think I commented on Facebook recently that RPG players and, and authors spend as much time talking about and harping about and criticizing and bitching about RPGs and how to play them or giving other people advice as they do actually playing. Um, and I, don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think self-reflection is pretty good. But the, um, there is a lot of just, you know, a lot of advice giving. I mean, we do this on the show as well. And I don't think we do it from a position of, um, you know, authority and, oh, this is how it's the only way to do it. I think we just kind of do it as like sharing ideas and hopefully it'll spark your imagination less than, you know, trying to establish some standards of like, oh, this is the only way to run games or games that don't do the suck. But, um, you know, people out there have published lots of, you know, 100 plot hooks for your campaigns or, you know, you can pick those up for like 99 cents on oh, yeah. RPG. Oh, They're all over the place. But I think the, what would set, you know, a generic product like that apart from one for Savage Worlds would be do the plot hooks and do the adventure generators and uh, does the plot point campaign evoke a certain feel of how you think your setting, you know, is most fun to run. Like the mood, um, you know, the specifics. And I think that's kind of what is more valuable. That's, that's a value add um, if it kind of evokes, I mean, if you think about it, like a modern techno thriller with, you know, um, cyberpunk elements, those kind of campaigns and missions are going to be very different than German fairy tale wuxia kind of you know, game. And so, you know, a generic just a bit of advice wouldn't necessarily apply for each of those in the same degree. So I think if you go... Um, if you're really kind of you know trying to get a feeling of your of of your campaign setting, um, yeah, give tools for people to play in that feeling, and you know make running and, and setting up new games easier. So I don't think any of these are must-haves, but I think if you're between um, either a plot point campaign or an adventure generator or plot hooks or something to give GMs an easy way to run multiple games in your right. setting. You could call it, you could, you could easily call it like you just said, an idea generator. And it would be, it would be the same thing. 
and and it wouldn't even need to be wouldn't even need to be card based you just you know you have a bunch of various ideas um, of things that could happen in your game um, you know the adventure generators I just I like the Savage Worlds ones just because of course my big thing is the cards you know I love I love the card base I love throwing out the cards and the thing is though in any adventure generator that you have to look at too and I think most people most people would would say yes they agree with this and and would would say yeah I, I already know this but there's some people out there who who would say okay I have this generator and it's a card based and so I'm going to be beholden to what the cards say. Don't do that. And I think we even, I think even in, in Gilbert's work, um, he, he says multiple times in there, you know, if the card doesn't work, pick a different card or, you know, look at the ideas based off of that, that card or, or the card in general and make up your own. So that's another thing that's kind of cool is, is don't, you don't have to worry about being beholden to the cards. But it's, kind of, it's, it's very cool, um, and I've done this a few times, to say, okay, I am going to say whatever the cards pull up, whatever I come up with what the card, that's what I go with. And then I'm going to try to figure out how do I make that work. Because that's just the, fun for the GM as well, right? I mean, you know, it is fun for the GM, yeah. Yeah, that's part of the game is that, you know, the, the game master doesn't always have to be all the burden on storytelling, all the burden of world building, all the burden of adjudication, you know, all at one. Uh, and that's the kind of thing is these tools allow the GM to have some surprise or to have some challenges or to stretch themselves beyond their, their, um, their abilities. But uh, Richard Wilcock, he pulled a really interesting quote out when, when they, uh, on the G plus uh, Savage Worlds group on this topic. And he gets a quote from Pinnacle, um, where the opening paragraph says this. It says, the idea behind our savage settings is that they're designed to be played. To be played, they need to be easy to hop into and get going right away. They also need to be complete. We won't refer you to Edges and Evernight if you're playing Slipstream. Everything you need will be in your setting book or the Savage Worlds rulebook. And that's an interesting concept. And sure, you know, Pinnacle's definitely grown from those days. But um, that's also... that central topic there is that everything you need should be between the book you're using and the Savage World book is it's also why we got permission to reprint most of the good still relevant edges from Pirates of the Spanish Main in right. Buccaneer and it wasn't to fill out our book or to give more content or pretend we created these things it was strictly because Pirates of the Spanish Main uh, which is the most associated you know similar product isn't in print anymore and those edges um, that you have with your characters in those campaigns, and one, they're good, but two, you know, they're legacy edges that you, if you have characters you might want to bring over um, and, you know, and use with our product as well. And so we include those just so uh, you, and we got permission to include them. So, you know, those are, the information for those is readily available when you're just running through our campaign as well. And so that was kind of the idea behind that. Well, you know, it was, hey, let's, let's make sure people have a useful product. And because we are updating, um, you know, bringing, you know, pirate, pirateering and buccaneering and um, swashbuckling into the current Savage Rules rule set and, you know, adding more content and adding, you know, definitely several layers of, of more crunch, not even layers, but like modular options like our chaos environment and, you know, how we treat ships and all that kind of thing. You know, have those other rules or other, you know, edges mostly because those are the, the you know, the important things for characters, which are the things you're going to be mostly porting over. Just, you know, available at your fingertips. And that was, that was kind of the idea behind that is, you know, to keep that spirit of, easy on the GMs, 
not having to reference 12 different books um, or even three, just, you know, two, this, you know, Savage World's Core and, and the, the setting book you're in. And, um, you know, and I, I liked it. That's, that's worth, um, you know, it's the same kind of thing that the Pinnacle did when they initially released, like, Solomon Kane. You know, that was one of setting where they, that setting was so self-encapsulated, they even included basically the core rules with that setting. Yeah, it was all one book. Yeah. Yeah, it was all one book. You didn't, you didn't even need the core to play Solomon Kane. Yeah. yeah, and they don't do that anymore, obviously, because especially since you know moving to the new smaller format, um, you know you're kind of running up against page counts and how much you can get in on page counts with perfect binding and all that kind of stuff. But um, so yeah, they, I mean, we definitely moved into you know smaller separate books. But um, several people on the thread on G Plus mentioned that they really liked the all in one. The all in one was important, and that if you had you know, a separate GM's guide and a separate player's guide and everything was broken up and, and printed separately, that was less attractive than all in one book. Yeah. And, you know, I know uh, it was mentioned in there too that that um, some of the Savage Worlds um, settings um, have gone to uh, two books and that was uh, happened when they went to like the smaller size. Yeah. Um, and a lot of talk about page count. You know, and I think that's I think that's important too, because you have to look at page count um, from a publisher standpoint, from how much is it going to cost, from those types of things. Is it better to split it into two books? Is it easier to have it in one book? And I think a lot of settings outside of Pinnacle, I think most people, I would say, manage to fit all of their stuff into a single book. You know, looking at around what. 150 what 90 to 150 pages yeah well here's a here's a question like on that the when people split stuff up into multiple books one of the most common ways to do that is to have a gm book and a player book um question on that do you and this is for your audience as well like hit us back up at upwar at savagecast.com with your views on this but or g plus facebook yeah we're around the um if you are a GM or a player, have you ever been able to successfully suppress world secrets that are in the GM section from the players? And is that even necessary? The, if there's info, I mean, a lot of times in the GM section, they'll give more detail on politics right. and happenings and backgrounds. And is, is that something you can reasonably expect players to respect and keep themselves ignorant of? Because... You know, anyone can buy, you know, in a, in a one setting book, if your players have the book, they have it all. And they, the only thing keeping them from reading the GM section is which page they open it up to. So there's no, you know. Right. They but, always they always put that section in there that uh, that says, like, uh, you know, in, in a lot of the Pinnacle books, it'll be a full page piece of art. And like uh, in, in Deadlands, it was like uh, Marshall's Eyes Only yeah. and, and, you know, Captain's Eyes Only and 50 Fathoms and things like that. Um, but it's there. Are people tempted? I see what you're saying. Are people going to be tempted to, oh, you know, I'll just go ahead and read that section. Well, and that's, the, that's my question is like, does it ever work? And is it fun for it to work that way? Because, I mean, I understand that there's certain things you'd want to spring on players. But in, in my opinion, I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. But the one view, one of my many views on this, um, you know, split brain kind of personality stuff is, we're, these are a lot of these are made up worlds. They're not necessarily tied to our own world, and so 
the amount of detail that the players have either comes from what the GM tells them, what they experience while they're playing, or from the book, you know, from you know, them getting a hold of and reading what the setting book is like. And I think letting players know about certain cool things that exist in the world, even if their characters shouldn't or wouldn't necessarily initially know about those things, um, does give more mature players the ability to work their way towards those things and to access them and make them real. Whereas if you're all just ignorant of them, um, how much detail have you really given your players to start with? And, and you know, are they really getting the fullness of the setting in their heads while they're playing? Um, you know, so yeah, I see what you're saying because I guess saying that, it, 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 yeah, are, are you missing, are they missing out on parts of it because you as a GM aren't, show you know showing that to them per se by by your descriptions and and you're not making it evocative and things like that for me i would say that i would like to hope that players would not read the gm section i am under no illusion that that doesn't happen i know for me running and playing it's a problem for me because you know i run for two groups right now well three groups and i play right now only in one but the one i'm playing in i'll give you this as an example uh, is etu i also run etu so i've of course read all the plot point and i've read all the gm stuff and it's not because i'm a player and i wanted to go ooh, i'm going to stick it to the gm because i want to know what's happening but it's because i run the game also and so you kind of have to look at that as well. And I really try, if I remember what the hell's going on. And, you know, and, and if you have a good GM, like our, my, our GM is, you know, has changed a few things up, not everything. So I do know a little bit, but I have such a bad memory that half the time I can't remember, you know, what I read 10 minutes ago. So it doesn't really affect the game because I, I'm like, oh, oh, wait, that was... Oh yeah, that was supposed to happen. But anyway, I try to I try to as much as I can, and I think I do a pretty good job of it, is not let my knowledge come in because I've got five other people sitting around the table. And I want them to have that experience and I want them to enjoy the game. And if I'm taking center stage and I know what's happening, and I'm using that knowledge, I'm stealing their fun away from them. Their fun of getting that surprise and getting that, oh man, I did not expect that to happen. And so I think sometimes maybe, you know, even having it split into two books, you know, doesn't matter because they can easily go buy the other book you know, I, I've, I've kickstarted all of these, so I get all this stuff and, you know, and I'm running games and, you know, running Deadlands right now. And if somebody told me they wanted to run the flood, well, I've run the flood three times for three different groups. So I know exactly what's supposed to happen in the flood. So either that GM is going to have to change a ton of stuff or I'm going to have to be a good enough player not to ruin it for everybody else. And I think you have to look at the, the maturity and you have to look at who are you playing with. 
And I think that's kind of the answer anyways. I and mean, it's not a great answer for people because finding people to play with is difficult. And then, you know, once you do keeping everybody together and avoiding the, like, you know, the certain times of years where everybody is busy and, you know, you, you lose kind of momentum with campaigns, like, that's tough. But I think that's kind of the answer there is that it doesn't really matter so much you know, how the, the, the products are separated or not. If the play, I mean, a motivated read ahead wants to know the answer player is going to find a way to do it anyway. Exactly. I mean, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing keeping them from the knowledge. And, um, I even thought about this in, in his own kind of campaign booklet world setting. I'm, you know, slowly chipping away at, and, and, uh, actually I had a really heated argument with a friend over it. It was actually, it was a good argument, but, um, no, was, wait, wait. You had an argument with somebody over yeah, I never over have something. Arguments with anybody. I'm such a nice milk toast, level-headed guy. Um, oh, speaking of which, um, the uh, squirrel, right? Squirrel. <laughs> no, but the uh, I'm thinking about getting the great game debate. I've, I've had the the domain name for like more than a year now, maybe two years, and um, so I think that's one of my projects for this year is to get the great game debate podcast up and running. Um, which the idea behind that is to actually have heated debates on current events in gaming whether it's um, sexism in gaming and that kind of stuff or you know which version of Dungeons and Dragons is the best one but whatever it is like the you know freedom of speech nice argumentative debate we'll have uh, commentary from you know listeners as like amicus briefs to come in and you know get your recordings in on your opinions and stuff like that but the um, you know I, I think it, it, now is a good time to kind of bring that kind of to the market I think because it's getting contentious out there. Um, I mean, even though personally with another Savage Worlds author, the, uh, we got, you know, a little Facebook tiff got heated and I got blocked on Facebook. I'm like, man, I thought you were going to be one of the guys who's going to work on this new podcast with me because you're, you know, open for debate. But no, no, certain things were just too much. And uh, I think it'd be fun to push some buttons with that. But if you guys are interested in, in uh, submitting topics or being uh, combatants on Great Game Debate, uh, shoot us an email and I'll... Uh, I'll work you into our, our initial roundup. But anyways, I was talking to a friend, and I was actually Brian McCabe from, uh, from locally, and the, my idea was is the how much information can a setting publisher keep from game masters, and would that be interesting? And to have slow reveals to game masters where game masters themselves don't actually know everything that's going on in the setting. And... My idea, the origin of my idea was was kind of um, bringing in um, the uh, there, there are things called the alternate reality games where they're kind of um, you know either they're 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 fun for gaming or for advertisement or whatever where you kind of um, people they're like online scavenger hunts or um, you know where a group of creative minds put together. Um, puzzles and information to unlock and investigate and they pretend that it's actually going on in the real world so they'll set up like phone numbers and web web pages for fake companies um, but they mean they look real and you can kind of go and call the phone numbers and interact with the web pages and you know they're that's what they call them like alternate reality is they're kind of earth but you know um you know, you're, you're writing a fictional story over it, and you kind of interact and, and, and kind of choose your own adventure kind of Sounds style. Sounds sort of like, um, I don't know, have you ever heard of Hunt a Killer? No. Uh, Hunt a Killer is, is one of those monthly box services, but it's basically a, a for, like me, huge true crime aficionados, and, and I am thinking about joining it at some point once I get some money saved up, but it's kind of that same thing where every month you get this box and you get 
letters and like tangible items and things from this killer. And you are basically, you and everybody who's part of Hunt a Killer, uh, and they have Facebook pages and web pages, and you're trying to solve this this mystery, who this killer is. And it's one of those that it, it's an ongoing thing, so you can come in at any time um, and, and join this and start getting those boxes. And it, so it's kind of that alternate reality thing, yeah, this ongoing exactly. story that comes to you on a monthly basis, and you don't really, you don't know what's going on. Because you're just you're waiting for this box to show up on your doorstep, and it's like, oh, what's this? What's this crazy serial killer gonna send me? Oh, look at that! I got a tooth. Right? Yeah. What does this mean? What, yeah. What does it clue? mean? Why is there? Why? What's the clue of this tooth that he that got sent me? Or what's this cryptic letter? Or how do I solve this puzzle? That's it. The, this puzzle that's in there. So. Yeah, and that was sounds kind of like the same thing. It absolutely. sounds really cool. Yeah, and like, could you incorporate those kind of elements into a RPG setting? And I mean, sometimes it's done. I mean, I'm like, you know, like, like look at something as, as expansive as Shine Tar. Like, you know, new books are coming out for that years after it was conceived, and they're filling in details of secret societies and organizations and towns. And so, obviously, game masters didn't have that level of detail five years ago, or six years ago, or six months ago. Um, but in the same kind of sense, what if there was an ongoing plot that was going on in the world in like real time or whatever, um, and that GMs would just be getting that information when you sent it to them in new updates or when their players discovered certain things, like you know if the players run through the mission and they 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 solve a puzzle, the puzzle is a, is a password, and that password gets the GM into new content. Um, if you're from a website or whatever, and that, that could, you know, they could then use that content to run more games than that. Could in be that very setting. interesting. And uh, and Brian's point was that he sounded very negative against it because he his position was, I hope I'm I'm doing this justice, that as a GM you want to be kind of omniscient and know what's going on in the world, and that so how could you effectively run a campaign, you know, outside of being just like a rules adjudicator if you did, weren't aware of what all these things were actually going on. And um, so that was his position. And my position was very much more like, oh, this would be a cool idea to try. It'd be fun to, to try to, you know, in the same way that, you know, other products separate out GM books from players' books. Well, what if you take it one step further and, you know, you'd only release your new information or what, the new happenings to players and GMs over time so there wouldn't be as much of that, oh yes, I bought the Kickstarter when my game master bought the Kickstarter, and so I, I've read it all and I know everything. And um, and it's not as much to under to, to, to undercut those kind of players. Again, the best way to not have that is to don't play with those kind of people, um, or to play with people who you know can know that information and still create fun stories around it. But that's the you know it's a fun story at the end of the day. That's what we want to do. Exactly. And, 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 and that's and that's kind of what I'm saying. That's kind of my my viewpoint on it. You know, that's what I'm doing in ETU is I'm playing a fun character, but I'm not, I'm, I'm staying away from, oh, I remember what was supposed to happen. I think that is something, I, I mean, I think you're onto a, kind of an interesting idea. It would be, I would think a little more, it, it, well, it could be a little more prep heavy. And why I say that is because of what the, the example you just gave. So they, they run through this adventure and they figure out a password and that password's going to unlock information that you as a GM are going to have for them next time, but you don't even really know what it is. So it might take a little bit of prep. So you run, you know, if you're one of those lucky folks and you get to run every Saturday, 
You know, you might have to take a couple hours during the week to, okay, I'm going to go type this password in. I'm going to see what it gives me. And then I'm going to get ready for the next session based off of that information. Yeah. You know, that, so that, that could be really cool, but kind of it, yeah, it would take a little bit of prep, um, you know, but I still, I, I still think you could do it. I think, I think it would be very interesting. Yeah. So my, my, my point to Brian was like, you know, but you know, can't a GM kind of be like, you know, you have like the host of murder, you know, games where, you know, everybody's kind of in the dark except one player who's the murderer or whatever. Um, and even they are kind of in, you know, somewhat in the dark about how it's going to happen and who knows what or whatever. And so it's kind of fun for everybody, even though there's still some structure to it. And Brian's point, so like, couldn't you be like a referee at a soccer game where you don't know what the final score is going to be, but you as a game master are going to adjudicate and referee getting there. Um, and then his point was, though, that like, what happens when, you know, there's an unknown question and a player wants an answer? Like, um, well is this character related to that character or whatever? And the, the, the game master has to make a call and then it turns out they're wrong because they don't know everything. And it turns out that, you know, they made a call of, of you know, a relationship or whatever. And that's undone three weeks later when new information comes out from, you know, the, the discovery. And it, would that disrupt the game too much? And, well, I, and I, I kind of understand where he's coming from a little bit, but that would be something maybe that, something like that that you want to do maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't get down to that that granular of a level yeah maybe it doesn't maybe that it, it you can have that input from the gm and the players you're more of it's more of a saw you know unspooling that mystery at kind of more of a, a an upper level than worrying about worrying about that so focused in granular level and maybe that would be hard to do maybe it wouldn't but it, the, my thought would be that that that's how you would have to run something like that it's going to be a, a bigger higher level thing yeah exactly and i think the yeah i think it could be well done as long as you made sure that there were a couple on ramps and off ramps like you know you wouldn't have to worry about like if, it, if, a, if a certain character you thought was important gets killed like you know you, you would have to be able to figure out as the creator of this to give the GM information on like these characters have plot armor or not, or, um, you know, you could ruin it or you'd have on ramps and off ramps where it wouldn't matter. You know, if, if one character accidentally got killed, that was supposedly supporting later, um, that, that, that role could be filled by a, a different character, um, just to allow the GMs the ability to, you know, if their players do something crazy and, you know, derail the train instead of, you know, waiting for it right. or whatever, um, you know, still make the rest of the campaign useful and fun. But uh, so I, I think it kind of walks the line between a scripted campaign and a plot point. I mean, I think the, you know, scripted campaigns from the other settings do are often kind of a little narrative locked in and heavy. Um, I know a, a Neil Hyde who ran us through... Um, most of, or at least more than half of uh, War of the Dead um, so far. We kind of put that on hiatus a couple years back, but I, I want to go back to it. That's a long hiatus. But the uh, I have one of those long hiatuses that's about to end. But it was great. I mean, we played for a, a, over like, I think a year and a half before you know we kind of found a, a convenient little stopping point. But I, I definitely want to go back to it. But the, you know, those are things where I think the um, yeah that was a very that's much less plot point, much more traditional campaign. Um, but I think it walks the line between those, where you've got, you know, you could do some cool, fun stuff and bring in, 
kind of meta elements, which kind of is probably a good topic for a different show. Is um, maybe we'll do this in the future. Yeah, there we um, go. We got we have we have a November idea. Right, meta puzzles and and how much can like for instance, how much of a puzzle like puzzles in games like does it have to be do you want to solve a puzzle by making your characters figure it out um, or the players figure it out like player facing or character facing puzzles in the sense that you know do you want to allow a character who's got a supremely high iq to make a role and solves the puzzle or do you want to give the puzzle to your actual players so even if their characters might be a dumb orc the players themselves are the ones who have to discover what the puzzle is. And, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's room for player-facing puzzles. I love those things. I think they're fun to be to, to work them in. I kind of want to add those elements. So, yeah, I guess in a future show we'll talk about the, the uh, difference between player-facing and... Yeah, so I want to... We're, we're running up against time right now. Um, I want to throw the, I want to throw this to you real quick, Chris, and I'll, we'll talk about it really quickly because we... Like I said, we're coming up against time and we have to... Have to uh, get uh, out of the space that we're recording in because somebody else is about to use it. But really fast, edges and hindrances. Is a setting book, does it need to have new edges and new hindrances? And what's too many? What's not enough? Ooh, I don't know what's too many, but I've definitely, every time I've seen this question brought up, that was like the number one thing people ask for. They don't ask for like setting rules or new big crunch. They're like, what are the edges and hindrances? And, um, and I think that makes sense from a play. That's that's the, that's what's you know the, the the things we've been talking about previously in this episode have been more like how do you sell your setting to a GM, like you know right game masters are more concerned about how to you know adventure generators and plot point campaigns. But I think the there are so many players out there who also buy settings. I think the edges and hindrances are more in line with what they want because. Um, want to see is that because that's like the how can I customize my character? How can I make a cool character? What right. cool new things can my character do? And um, so I think those are important. I think you know it might be important to have uh, new ed- or you know new edges and hindrances that fit your flavor, fit the tone, and fit at least two or three different play styles. Like obviously you want you know to scratch the itch for the combat monsters. You also want to give the you know, these social investigative kind of characters, you want to throw them a bone. Um, and then just have some hindrances. I think hindrances are great. I think hindrances are much, much more fun to me than edges. I think edges kind of can lead to power creep, whereas hindrances almost always lead to better role-playing. Right, RP if they're done right. Yeah. If they're done right. Yeah, I think my feeling is on this is, yeah, I think you should have, I think you should have some new edges and hindrances. But I don't think that you need to reinvent the wheel. If there is an edge out there in core that does exactly what you're creating this new edge for and spending all this time creating this new edge, are you wasting your time? It's already in core, so why why recreate the wheel? Oh, true. And we, you know, I think one good thing that I know you spent a lot of time on and really did it well was reskinning an edge from Deadlands. Right, yep. For our pirate setting, and that was Veteran of the Old West, and we call it Salt of the Sea, where you know there is a in this setting, and as in Deadlands, and even more so in our setting. Like in a pirate setting, you kind of need a captain. If you're going to have a ship, you need a captain. Right. And that's how do you let one character be the captain and not you know let other players think it's imbalanced or whatever? And how do you let a starting character, which in the world wouldn't make too much sense, not too many novice starting 
career types are going to have a ship and have a men of their command. So how do you generate that at the beginning of a, of a new campaign? And the solution uh, that you know, we really liked better in the Old West and uh, or the Weird West, and the you know, Salt of the Sea kind of does that. It's it's reskinned for pirate. Yeah, player. our game. You know, and yeah. so it, it, you know, and that's kind of where the art comes in. That's where the the value add is. But that that's kind of an important edge to have yeah. because it's a procedural edge that allows one character to fill a role that kind of needs to be filled in in most of these games. Yeah, and it's not a required edge, so you don't have to have right. it. Right. You know? But it's it's definitely there to allow that game to proceed. And I think another one we came up with, which was really really good, was Jonah. And that's one of the hindrances. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love our I love the Jonah hindrance. I love the fact that that it's. And I was talking to somebody about it the other day and saying that how much fun it was because I, I was in the play test that, that we were running. Um, I was the Jonah and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, all the other player characters hated me because uh, at the worst time I would uh, cause, you know, havoc by being the Jonah. Um, we'll, I'll give you the, uh, the quick rundown on Jonah. Uh, basically, a Jonah on the ship is seen as being bad luck. Maybe they have bad luck. Maybe they're just seen as having bad luck. But uh we kind of use a a, a a a little variant on the Joker because you know the Joker. Everybody at the table is like, "Yes, a Joker came up. Yes, we all get a Benny if you're using Joker's Wild, and that person gets a plus two to attack and damage." Well, the Jonah kind of takes that, flips it on his head, and says that the person who is the Jonah, if they get a Joker, then they still get that plus two to attack and damage, but everybody else for the round gets a minus two to really show that, oh, there's that bad luck. It's kind of like the trouble magnet from the Weird Wars. Yeah, It's a little harsher than that. But you got to, you know, the game master has to play it right and the characters have to play it right. And, 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 you know, it might not be right for every group, but we had a a really good time with it. And all the other player characters have now started just calling my character Jonah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Instead of calling me by my name. You know, and that was kind of the idea behind it was it didn't matter if the character themselves was actually bad luck. It's the perception. It was the the role-playing element. And the, how do you make other characters perceive you to be bad luck? Well, you make them bad luck. You make your character affected by what's on another character's sheet. And it, it might sound unfair, but that's that's what that's what evokes that feeling in the setting is that, you know, how do you get other players at the, the table to turn on your character and have it to be a major hindrance is... Yeah, give them a minus two, and that's brutal. I mean, especially oh, yeah. you know, every you know, when you're fighting the big bad guy in the in the in the, the, the climactic you know conflict, and, and you a Joker comes out, and everyone, you're trying to soak wounds, everyone's thrilled, and then you're like, wait a minute, you're the Jonah got the Joker, and with that, the the GM, the the, the Admiral, and that and the Jonah get a Benny. And so that's a, a GM Benny that can be used to keep their big bad alive or to increase an attack against you guys. And everyone else gets a minus two. And the minus two is on everything. And so, I mean, that's that's could be just disastrous in a right. round. And you could think, oh, my God, the, how, how awful is that? But honestly, when you're playing Savage Worlds and you've got six people around the table, you've got two Jokers in your deck, it's, it, it's not going to happen all the time. So it's not going to be this permanent detriment but when it happens at a key point we were fighting a combat on a ship and two of the players got shaken and two wounds and we're trying to soak and me as the jonah i had the joker right good luck guys. they were not able to soak 
they had some issues, but it turned into a great story. It turned into, it was a lot of fun. Maybe not so much fun for them, but it was fun for them because we still talk about it. Right? If and it wasn't yeah. fun for them, we wouldn't still be talking about it. And that's the thing too, is that the, you know, the, the, we kind of wanted this, and not a lot of edges have this kind of power, but we want, you know, we wanted to evoke uh, that kind of feeling where this is an edge that's worth going on an adventure to get rid of. This is an edge that's worth, you know, killing a fellow member in your group to get rid of. And however you want to resolve that, you know, it's it's unavoidable with role play to just dismiss this edge and uh, or hindrance. And so. You know, that's kind of what we wanted. I mean, I was like, the you know, this is going to be a role-playing magnet. This is going yeah. to be something that's going to make fun. your games play differently. So, um, you know, very easy for the GMs to say, yeah, not going to happen. Don't want to have that on character sheets. But if you want to play that out, and I think Brett was even running a, a playtest group that had two different characters took it. Right, and, yeah. You know, so that's the kind of thing is the, you know, the stories coming out of that are like, yes, this is what we wanted to accomplish. This is, it, it definitely is. And when, when two people in a group look at an edge and go, that's going to be fun. That's cool. I think you did something right, even though it's a detriment. I think we did something right to have two players go, oh, man, that that looks like that's going to be really fun, and that could lead to good role-playing. And then both of them say, yeah, we're both going to take it. And you're like, huh, let's see what happens when you both get a joker. Right? How happy you like are minus four to, to have that. So yeah, I think it's good. Well, I think uh, I think we kind of covered the topic pretty well. Again, uh, kind of up against time. So uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we're back. We didn't pod fade. Life happens, you know. Yeah, no, we we pushed out number eighteen. We're not gonna. I don't know that we're gonna promise. Uh, we're not gonna promise. You know, two shows a month, one show a month at this yeah, point. No promises. No. But uh, we're 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 here. Uh, you know, we'll we'll get shows out. Uh, you know when we can and and on a timely manner when we can uh i think uh i think for chris and i both i think things are starting to settle down a little bit um i think we're we're both getting back to a point where you know we can make some make some time and 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 get uh get some of these recorded uh you know get david in here you know uh you know being colorado guy you know he's out he's out in the wilderness he's out camping he's out doing outdoor stuff uh why we're sitting here in the library recording and I'm getting ready to go uh, start a new uh, Star Wars Fantasy Flight campaign tonight oh, nice. as a player. So I'm going to go and uh, sit around the table uh, to hell with the outdoors and fresh air. Yeah, it's totally overrated. Yeah, That's screw good. you, David Garrett, for going camping and enjoying the outdoors with your family. I know, vitamin D's for chumps. Yeah, so again, thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, you know, we do have lots of ways to contact us. Write us at uh, uproaratsavagecast.com if you have questions, comments, ideas. Uh, go out to our Facebook group, SavageCast. Uh, G+, we're SavageCast there too. So you can uh, you can find us multiple ways if you want to share show ideas, uh, you want to give us uh, your comments, your thoughts, things like that. Uh, help us out. Uh, we've said it before, uh, you know, we're, we're two brains and uh, there's only so much... Uh, Savage World stuff that, that we can come up with as great ideas. So we're more than willing to take your ideas and, and run with those. So, yeah, this has been Chris, the Savage Mommy Fox, and Christopher, the Savage Bull Landauer. And I hope you enjoyed uh, Savage Cast number 18. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Later, Savages. Savages.